up our Christmas Advent sermon series. And uh, one of the things that I really uh, appreciate about Living Water uh, is many things. But one is that uh, we value honesty and authenticity here. And I feel like I can be me here. I don't have to be somebody else. And the way I try to live my life is to be sensitive to the promptings of the Holy Spirit. Uh, sometimes successful in doing that, sometimes not so much. But I, um, I had a sermon introduction uh, written this week that was uh, take off from the video uh, kind of lighthearted intro, get us into the Christmas season, um, tempted humor, but uh, in, uh, you know, just the, the promptings of, of God's Spirit within me, I, I decided to come in this morning and I thought our, our time better served right now rather than me trying to give you some frivolous introduction is to spend our time in prayer. I think that's a better use of our time. So having said that, would you please pray with me? Lord Jesus, I come to you this morning with a heavy heart. This is the time of year where joy abounds. We see it all around us. However, because we still dwell in this fallen world, a world that is often filled with pain, suffering, and loss, seasons of grief and sorrow get intertwined amongst the season of joy and excitement. And Lord, as we gather here together as your church, I am grateful that this is a place where we can be honest and real. We don't need to put up a front. We don't need to put on a happy face when that isn't the disposition of our heart. We come together today knowing that in our midst are people who are really struggling. And those struggles are real and they are varied. Some of us have experienced the death of a loved one. Some of us have experienced a divorce or separation. Some of us are lonely because we haven't found that special someone yet. Some of us have lost our health. We've lost homes, livelihoods, and perhaps friends. And some of us have loved ones who are dealing with life-altering problems. And some of us are just weighed down by the state of our world. So we pray to the one who has overcome the world. I bring to you, Lord, those who are burdened. Their heart, instead of being lifted up at this time of year, is weighed down. Christmas time isn't that perfect, joyous time of year for them. Yet, Lord, we are not without hope. You are our living hope. You can bring comfort and strength to those who need it. And I ask you in Jesus' name that you would do that right now. May your word and the scriptures we look at today minister to your people. Please do that, Lord, for your glory and our good. Amen. So, the theme today is hope. And we should ask the question, is there any hope? Is there any hope for society? Is there any hope for us as individuals? Well, I think the answer to that is a resounding yes. There is. There's hope. We can find hope 
in the promises of God. That's what we're going to do today. We're going to cover a lot of Scripture, but specifically looking at the promises found in God's Word. So we'll start right here where the video uh, left off. They mentioned a particular verse, and that's where I want to begin. So uh, if you have a Bible, please turn to Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. Uh, like I said, we're going to cover a lot of Scripture, and I'm going to go rather quickly. I have all the verses on the screen, so unless you're really quick at flipping Bible pages, you may just want to look up at the screen. And uh, if you please stand as we honor the Lord with the hearing of His Word. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14 says, Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. Thank you. You may be seated. There's a promise in that verse. Did you catch it? Four words, I've underlined them. The Lord himself will. If those words were going to have any hope for the people in Isaiah's day, and if they're going to have any hope for us today, the hope is found grounded in the Word of God. Who He is and what He has said. I know it's very old-fashioned nowadays to say this, but true hope is found in, Thus saith the Lord. What has He said and then taking him at his word. When one does that, if you were to do that and simply trust God in what he has declared, hope will spring forth out of that fertile ground of faith. And that is what we need. But it always comes back to the word of God. That's why you're not going to get platitudes from me today. Have faith. Just just have hope. Just believe that everything will work out. No. Faith is grounded in the God of Scripture. Hope is in who He is and what He has promised to us. Believe in what God has said as revealed to us in His Word. I have one job here today. One job. And that is to proclaim to you the Word of God and then implore you, beg you, plead with you to believe it. Here's how we're going to do it. There's a big idea today. Big idea. This is where we're going to work from this. It's this. As it is written, key words, as it is written, you can have hope from above. If you look at that word above there, we're going to use that as an acrostic to help us remember some of those promises God has declared to us in the scriptures. And my prayer is that by the time we're done, the word will have done its work to rightly frame our thinking, to get us in the right frame of mind, and then provide for us some much needed hope as we enter in this Christmas season. It's my hope and prayer. So let's begin with the first letter in above, the letter A. A for Abraham. A promise was made to Abraham that all nations would be blessed through him. And in order to see this, we have to go back to the beginning, to the book of beginnings, Genesis chapter 12. 
the first three verses. And I want you to notice here who's speaking and notice all the I wills. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you all the promises of the earth shall, or the families, excuse me, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. This is given to a 75-year-old man who would become known as Father Abraham, but at this point he's Abram, and he's the father of absolutely no one. He's, he's got an elderly wife, and the thought of them having kids, descendants, offsprings, uh, as numerous as the stars in the sky or sand on the seashore, is laughable, quite literally. But does God make good on his promise? Of course he does. From Abraham comes Isaac, from Isaac comes Jacob, and then a nation is born. And if you follow this all the way through to the New Testament, we're going to be jumping from the Old Testament to the New Testament time and time again here today. We see the Apostle Paul addressing the church in Galatia, and he cites Genesis chapter 12. And he gives us here verse 7. So I want to look at Genesis 12 and Galatians 3 in our next slide here. Genesis 12, uh, verse 7, the beginning portion. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. And in the New Testament, Galatians chapter 3, Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, and to, the, and to your offspring, who is Christ. See, Genesis 12 is saying, through the loins of then fatherless Abraham would come forth a nation. And all the families, all the nations of the world would be blessed. And this prophecy finds its ultimate fulfillment in one man. One seed, one offspring. It's none other than the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Such that after 400 years of silence, we call this the intertestamental period. 400 years, we haven't heard from God. The silence is broken as Matthew 1.1 thunders forth this. A genealogy. We love genealogies, don't we? But this one is so important because Matthew begins with the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. So we have the letter A. Moving on to the second letter, the letter B. B is for Bethlehem, the birthplace of Jesus. Micah 5.2, you know the portion of Scripture. We hear it all the time this time of year, and rightly so. But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. There's a prophecy here that there's going to be a future ruler, and it tells us exactly where he's going to be born. And Micah is very specific. 
He wants to make sure there's no confusion here because there was two Bethlehems. It's not just Bethlehem, Bethlehem Ephrathah. And Micah knew there's a potential for confusion, so he's very specific. He says, Bethlehem Ephrathah, specifying the one in Judah, near Jerusalem. Not the other Bethlehem, which was to the north, a totally different location in the tribe of Zebulun. And I thought about it, I thought, isn't there a Bethlehem, Pennsylvania? I'm not born and bred here. Uh, I had to go to Google Maps and... There is. There's a Bethlehem, PA. Did you know this? Right? Out near Allentown. But then, maybe, maybe you don't know, there's a new Bethlehem. They've created a new Bethlehem. Are you aware of this news? New Bethlehem is nowhere near Allentown. It's out west, Clarion County, near Pittsburgh. So you need to be specific if you're saying you're going to go to Bethlehem because one's this way and the other one's that way. And so Micah is, wants to make sure we get it clear that the message comes through he makes that distinction and he says it's the one that's too little or insignificant to be among the clans of judah hence the song O little town of bethlehem now let's flip to the new testament again matthew chapter 2 now after jesus was born in bethlehem of judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea. For so it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. A prophecy predicted some 700 years before it would find its fulfillment. And it did find its fulfillment. Why? Because it was spoke from the God who cannot lie. And he tells us through the prophet Micah, which we will return to Micah later on. So let's continue in the acrostic. We have A, B, now the letter O. O is for offspring. Not of Abraham, we've covered that already, but this is the offspring of David. And we've got to go back to 2 Samuel chapter 7 for this, and I have some work to do to kind of set this up. This chapter is a key chapter in your Old Testament. It's about the Davidic covenant. What's going on here is King David is on the throne in Israel, reigning, ruling there. And he says, a right thought, he says, I dwell in this house of cedar, a beautiful palace. Meanwhile, the Ark of the Covenant dwells in a tent. And he says, I will build a house for the Lord. And why should I live in this great palace? And Lord, uh, represented through the uh, Ark of the Covenant, is in a tent. And he's telling this to the prophet Nathan. And Nathan hears this and he's like, yeah, that, that sounds good. Yeah, you should go ahead and do that. But then the Lord appears to Nathan that night. And he says, you go tell King David, thank you, but no thank you. Instead, 
I'm going to make a house for him. There's a beautiful play on words here with the word house. Same word, but used in different ways. David lived in a house, meaning a palace. And he wants to build a house for the Lord, meaning a temple. But the Lord does him one better and says, I'm going to make a house for you, David. And by house there, he means dynasty. It's an amazing section of scripture. Let's pick it up in verse 12. This is God speaking to David through Nathan. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, meaning when David dies, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name. What I think's in view there is Solomon, David's son, building the temple, uh, which we know happened in 1 Kings chapter 6. And he says, I will establish the throne of his kingdom Notice the word forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. We're going to come back to that in a moment. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever in accordance with all these words, in accordance with all this vision, Nathan spoke to David. Now, prophecy can be tricky because there's often multiple fulfillments. I think what's going on here, there's an immediate fulfillment, and that is Solomon. All right? But then we must, we must reckon with these, this language of forever. Why is he talking about forever? What's going on there? It's laced throughout. Because I think 2 Samuel chapter 7 is saying a whole lot more than David's going to have a son named Solomon who's going to assume the throne and build a temple. I think there's more going on. And let me show you in the New Testament, Luke chapter 1. And the angel said to her, it's Mary, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Notice the forever language there. And theologians will, will kind of characterize this in prophecies having a near and a far fulfillment. The near being Solomon here. But then the far is Jesus. Or as some put it, there's a lesser fulfillment and then a greater fulfillment. The lesser is always insufficient in some way. It's, it's faulty, it's, it's flawed in some way. And that gets us looking ahead further for the more perfect fulfillment. And that's what these prophecies often end up doing. They, they present to us signposts. They're, 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 they're literally like a sign saying, look ahead, look ahead, look further down the road. The fulfillment is yet to come. And it's a better fulfillment, a more perfect fulfillment. 
And through diligent study of these prophecies we find throughout the Old Testament, and then through diligent study of our New Testament, these kind of fuzzy pictures begin to snap into focus. And you're like, oh, I see what was being said back then. And now it's found its fulfillment. Consider back in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 14, I said we would return to this. He says, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. You might recognize that language, not from 2 Samuel chapter 7, but from Hebrews chapter 1. It's exactly there, word for word, clearly a reference to Jesus. And this is the book of Hebrews, is it not? Are you familiar with Hebrews? It's all about Jesus is better. He's, he's greater. He's greater than the angels. He's greater than Moses. He's greater than Abraham. He's a better high priest. He's the mediator of a better covenant. He provides a better sacrifice. He's the author of a better salvation. That's Hebrews. It's just pounded throughout the entire book. But Jesus himself, in, in Matthew 12, he says, the queen of the south came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And what does he say? But now someone greater than Solomon is here. Referring to himself. Jesus, from his own lips, this comes forth. He's the greater king. Greater than Solomon. Greater than David. They reigned for a period of time as earthly kings. He reigns forever as the King of kings and Lord of lords. Let's move on in the acrostic to the letter V. Now, you may not be a prophet or a son or daughter of a prophet, but you probably have already gotten this one, maybe. If you're thinking, if your brain's engaged this morning, the V is the virgin birth. Jesus was born of a virgin. Again, go back to Isaiah 7:14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. There's the prophecy. Jump to the New Testament, Matthew 1. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together. And that doesn't mean that they just kind of like snuggled up to one another side by side. There's more going on there. She was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Amen. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son. And he called his name 
Jesus. Now, there's no other way to categorize this other than it's a miracle. It's a miracle. If you know anything about biology and procreation, there's no other way to explain this here. You, you could be the most strict uh, empiricist uh, using the scientific method. You can, with your little empirical scientific heart, examine the evidence until the cows come home. You're not going to be able to apprehend this. It's a miracle. It's not natural. It's supernatural. And it must be taken on faith. See, in the Bible, and many people struggle here, they struggle with some of this. I get it. Those kind of strict empiricist type people, like from Missouri, the show me state. They're like, I don't want to see it. I want to be able to test it. I want to be able to put it in a test tube. I want to be able to verify it somehow, some way, externally, using my senses, my cognitive reasoning or whatever. They struggle here. And I'm sympathetic to that because I kind of think that way myself. But you have just got to come to grips with there are times when God says, trust me. Just trust me. Trust me in my word. I will not lead you astray. This may seem impossible according to natural law, but I'm God and I can do it. And you have just got to, you just got to embrace that. In your little empirical heart, you just got to be like, I trust that. Based upon what he has said. Because people will say, well, you know, Jesus walking on water. See, like there was, um, there was like floating ice around. And, and he knew where the ice pe- pockets were. Like, stop it. Just, just stop, okay? It's a miracle, okay? He didn't, there wasn't this under, you know, it's not David Blaine. It, he walked on water. It's, that's it. Don't try to do anything else with it other than it's a miracle. Because God does it time and time again, and he tells us, I can part a Red Sea. I can make the sun stand still. I can cause bread to fall from the sky. I make axe heads float. I can have a virgin give birth. I can turn water into wine. I can walk on water. I can put a coin into a fish's mouth in the sea. I, I can feed 5,000 with a little boy's lunch. I can heal the sick with a wave of my hand. I can cast out demons with a single word. I can even raise the dead. And I can even speak an entire universe into existence. I have that kind of power. So if Genesis 1-1 is true, the rest of it is believable. Right out the gate, you've got to accept this. God himself, he asked Abraham, he said, Is anything too hard for the Lord? Perhaps he's asking you that question today with your struggles. Let's finish this acrostic here. E stands for eternal existence. Jesus, the Son, has always existed eternally. Back to Micah 5.2. I said we would revisit it. But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah. From you shall come forth, future, right? Come forth for me, one who is to be a ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days, past. We got future and past right in this section of Scripture. So how is it 
How is it that this ruler who had come forth would be of old? He's coming forth, but yet he's back here. Eternal existence. One commentator put it like this. He said, the terms old and ancient times and their application to a future ruler, one yet to appear on the scene of Israel's history, is strong evidence that Micah expected a supernatural figure. Only in Christ does this prophecy find fulfillment. And this fits with the language in Isaiah 9. We're hitting all the verses today. We're just kind of doing an overview here. Isaiah 9, 6 and 7. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and for how long? Forevermore. See how this all fits together? The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. And I started to cobble together the New Testament texts that support this, that show that this is true. We'd be here all afternoon if I shared all of them with you. So let me just give you a couple. Colossians 1.17. And he, that's Jesus, is before all things. And in him all things hold together. John 8, one of my favorite sections of Scripture, the drama that plays out there, going back and forth, and then Jesus hits them with this truth bomb. He says, before Abraham, Abraham was, I am. And they knew exactly what that meant they picked up stones to chuck them at him. They knew what he was saying. But then Revelation 22, 16, Jesus says, I am the root and the descendant of David. How is he the root and the descendant? How, how is he a root and a branch? Either you're a root or you're a branch. You're not both, but he is. He is. This is amazing. But probably the clearest portion of scripture in the new testament that shows this is uh, john 1 gospel of john first chapter in the beginning was the word and the word was with god and the word was god he was in the beginning with god unless there be any confusion as to who the word is here john leaves no doubt in verse 14 and the word became flesh and dwelt among us Jesus. And we've seen his glory. Glory is the only son from the Father, full of grace and truth. I don't know what you do with these verses other than Jesus has eternal existence. I don't know any other way to explain these away. So that's the acrostic. There you go. You have something to help you remember some. Just, this is just a section. Uh, praise God. Uh, this is just a sampling really of the prophecies that Jesus fulfilled. And so you say, okay, Mike, you know, that's, uh, that's kind of cute. You know, thanks for that. Appreciate it. All right. But what's the big takeaway? What's the big takeaway from this? I think that's a fair question. Let me answer it. For one, you can trust your Bible. 
You can trust your Bible. Anyone who knows anything about textual criticism understands the power of fulfilled prophecy. The persuasive power when a prophecy is stated and then fulfilled. There's just... There's no, there's no coincidences here. These just can't be. There can't be coincidences here. And this is one of the internal evidences that God gives us that says, you can trust me. You can trust me. Just look within the pages of my word. I hope you have the eyes to see it this morning. One more scripture, and then we'll bring this to a close. 1 John chapter 3. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be, future, has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. Because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Is your hope in him? Is your hope in him today? Or have you placed your hope in another. Is there hope? Is there hope for you? Yes. Is there hope for our world? Yes. And that might be a shocking statement in the state of affairs in the year 2022. There is. But how many of us, now I want, I want you to be honest here, how many of us have our hope in a man rather than the God-man? See, my hope is not in 2024. I don't have to wait till then. My hope is now. My hopes weren't dashed earlier this month when things didn't go the way I wanted them to go. All right? My hopes aren't dashed on election day. My, my colors are not red or blue. If I have any uh, affinity for a color, it's the color purple. The color of royalty. Of a kingdom. And an eternal king who sits on a throne in that kingdom. That is where my hope is found. My sights are set on that greater leader, that greater ruler, seated on the throne of David, the root and offspring who reigns and rules. And he doesn't reign for four years or eight years. He reigns forever. That's how long his reign runs. See, I think in our minds, whether we want to admit it or not, if we're, again, if we're really honest, we want to get somebody in office who will fix everything. Well, I know someone who has three offices. They are prophet, priest, and king. Right? He fits the bill. All these other earthly rulers, they're going to fail. They are all failures to some degree. If I was insane enough to run for office, I would fail too because I'm a big failure. Jesus is not. They will all die like men. But Jesus is alive forevermore. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he's the only one that can truly fix that which is ailing us. But I think our hope is in the political realm. I think you can see it by how much people talk about it and the way they talk about it politics and how they get all bent out of shape when things don't go their way. I think they're giving evidence of where true, their true hope is found. In a man, not the God-man. 
And don't mistake me, we cannot be oblivious to what's going on around us. I care very deeply about what's going on in the political realm, in the social realm, in society, of course. But how many of us spend huge chunks of time just devouring content in a political in a, or social context? Meanwhile, our Bibles remain closed. If the only time you're getting scripture is when we put it up here on a Sunday morning, that's not going to cut it. That's not good enough. I love you enough with all respect and love. I love you enough to tell you we got to be in the word. What do you consume more, Fox News or God's word? Very introspective question because I think we're much more concerned with the political state of our nation than the spiritual state of our own very soul. Again, I'm concerned with what's going on around us, but I'll tell you what concerns me more is when I look at my own life and I look at my life and my character and how it does not line up with the life and character of my God. When I look to Jesus and I see how short I fall, obviously, all these inconsistencies and contradictions that exist within, unbecoming of a follower of Christ, And so what do we do? What should we do? Go to the Word of God. I go to the Word and I say, Lord, show me my sin. And I brace myself. Because He does. The conviction, Holy Spirit brings conviction to the true believer. And And I see all my sin and all the areas of my life that doesn't line up with God's Word. But then I don't sit and wallow in that. I ask God, by the power of your Holy Spirit, help me to look to the solution. Help me to look to my Savior. Help me to look to Jesus, to look to him, to listen to him, and to follow him. What do you say? I'm the good shepherd. My sheep hear my voice, and they follow me. I claim to be a sheep. Who am I listening to? Who am I following? Where is my hope? I want to look more and more like him. And in order to do that, I got to put to death that which is earthly within me. And there's plenty. I got lots of work to do. These these things that don't line up with my profession of faith and then spend my time, spend my energy, the remaining days that God gives me, however many that is, looking to him, looking to Jesus, following after him, listening to his voice. That's my deepest desire because his second coming is just as sure as the first. You have that promise. You have that promise. We will meet him when he comes and time is short. You will meet him. You have that promise. You will, as they say, meet your maker. And I don't know what you want to hear on that day. I don't want to hear depart from me. I don't know you. I want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Do you want to hear those words too? All right, let's pray. Lord God, just like we set our sights too low when it comes to